Right, well, welcome. It, this is Sunday the 14th, but actually I'm recording this on Monday the, the 1st, and things change. Things change over time. By the time I see this, one of my kids is going to be a year older. And also, by the time I see this, I might have been in physically in a classroom teaching maths for the first time since the 20th of October. So I'm excited. I'm excited about these things. Anyway, what I'm going to preach about today is encouragement. And the reason why I'm going to preach about encouragement is because someone sent me four pictures that God had given them. And I, I believe that they're a prophetic person. And they had four pictures. And at the bottom of one of them, it said about being in a church where everything is bathed in encouragement. So I'm going to hang on to that. And I said, right, I want to preach on encouragement. I said to Neil, can I preach on encouragement? And I went to my go-to passage on encouragement. And to verify that this is my favourite passage on encouragement, here is my black leather Bible that my wife got me years ago. And here's the passage on encouragement. It's actually come out of my Bible. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start reading. And for me... This is the passage that Neil read yesterday in church. And for you, this is the passage that Neil read a fortnight ago in church. So let's see if you get it. I, um, I'm a big believer in the NIV, but I, I had a sense that his passage came over better than mine, but it's still the word of God. So let's go for it. So this is in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to start reading at verse 19 and I'm going to read it. But as you know, with me, it's going to be eyes down and concentrating. So this is starting at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great high priest over the house of God let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Absolutely brilliant. So what we get from that is Jesus has saved us. We're adopted and we're loved. And that is a binding thing. It cannot be changed because God says so. That's what he's done. He's done that. And he's made us clean because of what Jesus has done. So actually, we can start off with this sermon is we're in a good place in our relationship with God. And that's important. And now I'm going to read verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And I've got a confession. And it's always good when Christians tell you that they've messed up because then you know that you're not the only one. Um, I'm not speaking to anyone particularly. If anyone's going, how did you know, Jim, that I've messed up? I know because I've also messed up. Um, and this is, this is something that I struggle with. And actually, before my son went back to university, he took me on a walk and explained to me how it works because I see it for everyone else except for me. 
when I do or say something that upsets someone or I do something I know I shouldn't do, I feel bad and I beat myself up. Now, I don't know whether you've got that, that really, um, I don't know whether I've got a tender conscience or, or and that, but, but I then tend to withdraw and I then um, get upset with myself. But actually, what does it say here? It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. That's what it says here. And we've already read, we're sorted out with our relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. And it goes on to say, let us um, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Jesus is faithful. So when it says I can be washed clean of a guilty conscience, I can be washed clean of a guilty conscience because it's what God says. It's important that we get these things right. They are fundamental and crucial to our faith. And if you, you're someone like me and, and you go, oh, no, I've got that wrong again. Well, what the Bible says is if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I've got a choice. I can either believe what, what God says through John in 1 John 1, 9, or I can believe what my feelings are. And I've been taught very well because I have been taught very well by various people that I must actually say it's what the Bible says, not what I feel. So that's an important thing for me. And if you say, oh, you know, I, I can't help. Well, if you confess it to God, you confess it to God, you're forgiven. If you think I'm really struggling with stuff, well, talk to someone. We've all struggled with stuff. We all get things wrong. Be vulnerable. Let, let people speak to you. The, 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 the thing that I've found is when you say you've got things wrong, other people are just relieved. Um, and, and Jesus forgives you. And even if they judge you, Jesus forgives you. He died for you. So there's an important thing that I, I, I think to remember. Um, so uh, that's, what, that's the start of this, this about encouragement. And it says nothing actually about encouragement yet, but we will get there. So here's some stuff about the book of Hebrews that this comes from. So I've done some research. So there's some scholarly research coming up. Now, when was the book of Hebrews written? Well, I looked in one uh, bit of information and it said it was between 60 and 70 AD. And I looked in another uh, thing where people have studied these things and it said about 90 AD. So in answer to the question, when was it written? I don't know. And I don't think there's an agreement. Uh, who wrote it? Well, that's a classic one, isn't it? No one knows who wrote it. And people will, I've even heard people preach, well, we don't know who wrote it, but this is what Paul says in Hebrews. Uh, we, we don't know. It, it, it's it's if, if people say they know, they don't know. But what we do know about Hebrews is it was written at a time when people were persecuted for their faith and uh, we, we, the, the persecution was quite 
uh, extreme on, on occasions in the early church. For example, if you said that you were a Christian and you were only going to worship Jesus, they had a way of dealing with that which was killing you. And fortunately, we're not in that situation in Croydon today in the 21st century, which is a relief. Okay, um, but we are in a situation that we're just coming out of a global pandemic. We are in a situation where people feel quite battered and under the cosh and people feel quite alone and it's a difficult time. So it is a time when we do need encouragement. So, um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the, the rest of the paragraph which it follows on all the stuff about who we are in Jesus, about, about what he's done for us, about how secure our relationship is with him and then what we're going to do about that. So, so after it says about let's hold unswervingly and all of that, it then goes on verse 24 to say, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So time is short, but we're encouraged to encourage one another. So um, because of the difficulties we face, and because of, because of this desire to do good, and, and Jesus talked about it, he said that, that men may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Because of that, we're, we're in a, a, a difficult situation. And um, I remember um, Owen Kingston having a picture of something like the D-Day landings and the people were coming up on the shore and there's the machine guns going and whatever. I may have embellished it. It may be that I'm getting confused between Saving Private Ryan and, and a prophetic picture. But anyway, they're coming up on the shore and, and they're getting, getting injured and, and people were taken into the, the, the medical centre, the, 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 the field centre. It's like MASH, if you, you watch that, if you're a similar age to me or older. And, and they, they get patched up and they're going, right, I can get home. I've got my ticket to Blighty. They used to say that in the First World War. I wasn't alive in the First World War. But, but they say, I can go home. But that's not how the Christian life is. It's you get patched up so you can go back into the battle there's still good works for you prepared in Christ Jesus. So it's about getting on and getting out. And that's what we want to really try and get to the grips. That's what encouragement's about, I believe. So now I'm going to give you three examples from the Old Testament of encouragement that I like. Okay, so, so there's going to be practical examples and I've very skillfully, because I, I'm, I'm just going to put that page back in my Bible. In fact, I'm going to just leave it out. I'll put it, put it back in my, my Bible later. I don't know how I'm going to 
restore this Bible to its former glory. Anyway, situation number one, right? This is encouragement number one, and I hope that you enjoy it. So, you have been told that you are going to be king of Israel, but there's someone else who's already king of Israel and they don't like the fact that you've been anointed king of Israel and you're really good at um, leading the armies and stuff like that and they're not as good as you and they've lost their relationship with God and they're arrogant and various other things and you can read about it in 1 Samuel. Anyway, so what happens is you've been called to be king of Israel. So then... You think, yeah, I'll be king of Israel. Yeah, I can do that. I've killed Goliath. I, I can do all this business. And then uh, the, the current king decides that he wants to kill you, so you run away. And you hide, you, you, you mess around, you, you, you're at the Philistines, you're hiding from them. You have to pretend you're a lunatic at some stage and all of that. And it's all kicking off. And so example of encouragement, number one, while David is running away from Saul with his men and he's trying to get away. It's a one verse encouragement. It's 1 Samuel 23, 16. And here goes, who's our top encouragement, our number one encourager or coming in at number three on the encouragement scale. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. So if you want to encourage people, Get with them. Be with them. It's one of the things that Neil said with, um, in going, we're going to go in person. Now, I know that's difficult at the moment. I've got a few ideas on that because I'm not stupid. But we're going to go in person. So that's the first person. Jonathan actually went in person. I've got a couple of examples. I was off school for, um, it turned out I was I was actually ill for about 12 weeks, but I missed eight weeks of teaching because we had two-week half-term and a two-week uh, Christmas break. And if anyone's saying, oh, teachers, oh, you just do it for the holiday and all that. Okay, yeah. But, um, but I was off and I was so frustrated. I'd go to the doctor and he said, I'll write you off. I'd sit in the car and I would cry that I could not get into school. And um, just before Christmas... And I was still ill. I couldn't get in for the last week. I didn't have the energy for it. But um, two of my friends came round with a get well soon card and, you know, and, and a few gifts, which was just lovely of, of them. My wife says to me, actually, when they came round, that was really, really important to you getting better. I think people just being there. I'll tell you another story I'd probably cry but who cares we're used to Neil preaching so um, my my nephew um, used to be or he had um, a thing where they didn't know whether he had cancer he doesn't he's fine but there was just a thing and praise God for that and thank you for praying if you did pray for him um, he was doing his English on his distance learning and he had uh, a thing where he just couldn't do the work that he set and he just couldn't do it. So 
and he just went to pieces. And he's not a bloke who goes to pieces. But I don't know whether this was in his mind or not. Um, I don't know. And his dad was out taking his grandparents to his dad's uncle's funeral. So his mum was there and she didn't know what to do. She just sat with him, put, put, his, put her arms around him and cried and said, I think we need God. I think that's encouragement. I think just getting where people are, I think is really brilliant. Anyway, she doesn't qualify for an Old Testament top encourager because she's still alive now. The next one, coming in at number two, top encouragers, and one of my favourites, it's Pura. We all know Pura, don't we? Let's, uh, we all like a bit of, oh, Pura, he was, a, he was a top bloke when it came to encouragement. Right, this is the situation. There's a guy who's from a really rubbish bit of the country, and he's told, you've got to uh, lead uh, my people, uh, Israel, they're not my people, they're God's people, Israel, and um, they've been attacked by people called the Midianites and the Amalekites. And they've come, and, and this guy, he's well brave because at night he cut down the, um, the false god statue. He did it at night, so no one knew it was him. And then when they came to get him, his dad went, Don't touch my son. So his daddy looked after him. He is, he's a cool bloke. And then he faffs around with bits of sheepskin saying, God, are you really going to, are you really with me, really with me? I don't think that's the way to find out the will of God, but you know, I might then discover later we, we should be getting, doing more stuff with fleeces and, um, and, uh, and uh, precipitation. Anyway, so um, he's, he's there in this situation and, and finally God's, God's got like, do you get it? You're, you're, you're the leader. And, um, and Gideon goes, yeah, okay, I've got it, I've got it. And then God says, right, so what we've got to do is just cut down the army from, I forget, I think it's about 30,000 down to about 300. Sorry, I should have checked the figures. It really irritates me when people get stuff out in the Old Testament wrong. You should do it. And I'm not going to check it now because I'll lose where I am and I've already put my glasses on. So this is God encouraging him before the battle where he actually defeats this mighty army with 300 men. And this is, this is oh, sorry, I said it was Pura, but I've, I've given it away. Pura is a bit part player in the purposes of God here. I'll read it to you. This is Judges 7, 9 to 17. So during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up and go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. <laughs> Listen to it. I love this that God says this. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Now, Pura doesn't get a choice, does he? But he, he goes. But I, I love that. I, I think if it was me, if God said, go down into the camp, but take a whole group of people with you, Jim, because I know what you like, and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Ah, God's playing a blinder here. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the uh, outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all of the 
eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could not be counted than the, uh, uh, sorry, I've missed out. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. Right, remember, Gideon's the leader. He's got 298 people waiting with him and he's with his servant Pura. So they'll be lucky to get back, you might think. Anyway, this is, he arrives and they're telling him a dream. And this is the man's dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friends responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Good job they didn't know about the 300. Good job they didn't know about the kids who got sent home. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. And that's what happened. So there, encouragement. He needed encouragement to do the good work that he'd been called to do. So that is, I, I said Pura, but I lied. It was God, God doing it. But my number one person on encouragement from the Old Testament, if I can just tell you, who can do it better than God? Well, no one can, so it's God again. Right, so in this situation, we've got Elijah. Now, Elijah has lived a miraculous kind of life. He's been fed by animals. He's gone abroad. He's, he's got this stuff which miraculously happened. He's provided for. He's then, he's, he's dealt with the weather for three and a half years. He's then taken on all of the, 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 the priests and prophets of Baal. He's made a spectacle of them. He's seen the supernatural, God coming down, or, or sending fire down. And then what's happened is he's uh, prayed for rain. It started raining first time in three and a half years. And then he's run to the capital. Everything about it is going well. This man does not need encouragement, surely. He is fantastic. He's on fire. The purposes of God are being fulfilled. And then... When he gets there, the queen says, you know what happened to all those prophets? I'm going to get you. And then he runs out of steam and he runs away and he is broken and he runs away and he just leave me alone. And, and, you know, God, again, feeds him miraculously. And then we find him miles and miles and miles away, hiding in a cave. He's finished. There's nothing more for this man to do. And we pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19. And it's, I'm going to read verses 11 to 19, just the start of 19. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meloha, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and f- um, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. I just, I just like the fact that God so knew Elijah. And it was like he'd come out of that, like the medical tent on the beach, and God just put him back, gave him something good to get on and do. And I just also, that's the God I know, the way he spoke to him. Just absolutely so tender, so lovely, so knowing what the person was and saying exactly the right thing. Now, I'll be dead honest with you. We can never be as good as God at encouraging people because we're not God. You know, he, uh, God, God's, God does this better than us. But we do have his spirit in us. And it says, let us consider how we can spur one another on. So that's what we should be doing. We should be considering it. What can we do? And I've, I've given you some examples. But some of them are just beyond our ability to do. But, but here's some things that we can do. Get on your phone and WhatsApp people or text them and thank them for what they're doing. Just let them know that you appreciate what they're doing. Because most people in the church are trying to do things which are a blessing and which glorify Jesus. So thank them for it. It it will be good. You prophetic people, 
When you walk into a room, come on, let's speak. Speak words of encouragement. You can do that. Speak it out. Give it a go. If you're trying to encourage someone and you get it totally wrong, but you encourage them, but you haven't quite got the Holy Spirit right, you've encouraged them. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you for trying. Do it. Pray for opportunities to speak words of encouragement. Now, in Romans 12, it says there are people with a gift of encouragement. Uh, but, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't all be trying to encourage people in the same way that there are prophets, but we should all try and prophesy, shouldn't we? So take the opportunity. Pray for an opportunity. Things that have happened to me. I had one evening where when I had COVID and I was down, two people left bags of food on my door. It was encouraging. I felt loved. I couldn't get out and do good things straight away because I was knackered. But it was so encouraging. Spend time with people. I think we're going to be able to get out and walk more. I, I think let's try and do this. I'll try and do this. Whatever. Please try and get to your Zoom, um, the Zoom after church and talk to people. Try to get to your life group as well. Neil keeps saying, get involved in life groups. Please do that. You know, it's, it's the uh, let us not give up meeting together. If you give up meeting together, you're going to lose where you are. You, come on, let's stay rooted in. Let's encourage one another. So um, I, I think what one... what. It happened probably a few Sundays ago, but more recently for me. We turned up and people were vulnerable about how they felt. One person started crying. No one cared. No one cared that they were crying because they wanted to hear where people were. And then we prayed. We don't do that every Sunday after a Zoom. But it was so encouraging to be able to be a blessing to someone. And they were encouraged. It's really, really good. So I'll leave you with this, this thought. And I really want us as a church to be a church bathed in encouragement because it gives us the courage to go out and glorify Jesus and do those good works for him. So here's the, the final thing. And let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I just pray. Father, I just pray that you would fill us all with your spirit, that you would give us a spirit of encouragement as a church and that, Lord, as a church, we would go out and do those good deeds and bless people so that the name of Jesus is glorified. Thank you, Lord. Amen.